So 2 Timothy is where we are uh, this morning. So what we'll do is I'm going to go ahead and read the text. We're going to pray. And then I've got just a handful of observations that we can pull out of our text this morning. um, And then we'll continue um, in our worship uh, for the rest of the service. So let's go ahead and read our text. I'm going to go ahead and read it just... I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's just an extra seven verses on the top, uh, top end here. All right, Second Second Timothy chapter one. All right, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that you may be filled with joy, and that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that, it, that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are all aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philagius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, God, for the opportunity to learn, God, from your word. God, I thank you that your word is living, that it is active, that it is sharper than any two edged sword, that it pierces so deeply inside of us. God, thank you that you give us the opportunity to be transformed and to be changed. Lord, it is truly a blessing that you do not leave us to our own devices, that you don't let us wander in the darkness, but rather you call us to light and to life. God, I pray today as we study your word, I pray that you would speak powerfully through it. God, through the text this morning, God, that we would learn what it looks like uh, to not be ashamed of you, that we would learn most of all what it looks like to know you and to be known by you. Lord, we, uh, we thank you, and we, we love you, and we, and we praise you. Uh, thank you for this church. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in it. Thank you for the hearts that are in this room, God, that are, are turned towards you and the desire to see the lost saved. God, we, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's meet, let's bring, I'll be bringing you up to speed. I know it's been a month uh, since we've touched this particular letter. 
Um, so this, uh, this letter is Timothy's, pretty much or Paul's last will and testament, basically. This is the last letter that Paul wrote, and he's writing it um, to Timothy. So he's writing it probably in the mid in the mid 60s uh, AD, and he was writing from prison in Rome, and he was awaiting his execution. And so in his on his in his last days on earth, Paul wants to encourage Timothy, his spiritual son, as he because he wasn't going to be around much longer to give him his perspective and to give him his wisdom. So it's interesting when you look at the book of Second Timothy in this letter that these are the things that Paul is prioritizing at the end of his life. So when we read through it, we can see what really matters to Paul and what really matters that Timothy gets as a leader and as, a, as you know, somebody who's appointing elders and preaching the word and, and carrying the church forward into the future as Paul's days are now numbered. And so as we can see, Timothy, as we saw in the first handful of verses here, Timothy was obviously the person he was writing it to. And we can see that Timothy had a sincere faith that was cultivated through his upbringing as part of a godly family. And Paul knew that the gift of God was present in his life and that Timothy had a specific calling to preach the word and lead the early church moving forward. But also, just to understand the dynamic here, like Timothy also was a very timid and probably frail person, and and he was probably full of fear at the task that was ahead of him. Um, We can see in 1 Timothy that, you know, he he was having some physical ailments, and we can obviously see that he was, he had some fear in the fact that, that Paul encourages him that the Lord has not given him a spirit of fear, but rather he's given him a spirit of power and of love and of self-control, but, uh, but, but Timothy notwithstanding, being a Christian at this particular time period was not really a great thing if you wanted to you know, survive and thrive and be, and be like a wonderful member of society. Because Christianity was really at this point and then this inflection point where if you were, called yourself a Christian and that you preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and you lived in such a way um, that, was, that was worthy of the manner of life that the Lord had called you to, you were, you were probably going to receive persecution economically, you were going to receive persecution uh, socially, but also there, was, there were physical elements to this as well, obviously since Paul is in prison awaiting his execution. So Timothy has some fear around preaching the gospel. He's kind of afraid of it. He's ashamed of it in, in some way, shape, or form because he's afraid of the results that could come to him in the midst of him preaching the gospel of Jesus. So Paul addresses these fears kind of in this first chapter, and he points, Paul. He, the first thing he tells Timothy to do after he encourages him that he doesn't have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind is he tells Timothy not to be afraid of the gospel, not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, but to share in the sufferings. So Paul gives Timothy three instructions here. These are not my three points, but there are three exhortations or three instructions that Paul gives in this first chapter. But the rest of the chapter is really where I think the, the gold lies. I think that's really where Paul's like main message lives in between the instructions. And the first instruction that we can see is in verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So that's the first one that he gives. And then then, then from 9 through uh, 12, he's not giving any instructions. He's just talking. And we're going to dive into that in a minute. The second 
instruction that he gives is follow the, in verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So that's number two. And then number three, we can see by the Holy, in number verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Paul gives three exhortations here, and they are primarily driven by not being ashamed of the gospel, sharing in the suffering that the Lord has called him to, following the pattern of sound words and sound doctrine, and then also guarding the good deposit that has been given to Timothy. But I think the thing that's really interesting to me when you look at this text is that what Paul does here is he really allows Timothy to understand why and how he can accomplish these things that that Paul's telling him to do. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, follow the sound doctrine and the sound words. Paul says, share in the sufferings of Christ. And then he also says, guard the good deposit. But he doesn't just say those three things and then move on. He spends a lot of time in between it. And I think here's why he does it. Paul always, 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 always roots any sort of instruction, any sort of exhortation, any sort of like you should do this sort of thing, imperative, that's what we call it. He roots all of those things in who God is and what God has done. They're always rooted in those two things. He doesn't say, don't be ashamed because you're a tough guy and you can suck it up and it's not really that bad. He doesn't say, oh, share in the sufferings of Christ because you know you're really trained for this. He doesn't say, follow what God tells you to do because it's the right thing to do. No. What Paul does is he really builds out and builds around the why and the how underneath of the instructions that he gives. And we can see this in, in, the, in, verse, in verse 7 and in verse 8. So we can see that, we'll just read verse 8 really quickly. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me and his prisoner, but share in the suffering, or share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So Paul gives an instruction there, right? He says, do this, do not be ashamed. He says, share in the suffering. So those are instructions. But if you notice at the beginning of chapter of verse eight, guess what words there? Therefore. And if we've been around at any period of time, whenever we see therefore, we ask what? What's it there for? Therefore is always connecting something before to something after. It's a, it's a hinge point word. It's a transition word. So when Paul says therefore, he's connecting what he's going to say to what came before. What comes right before ver- the therefore in verse eight? Verse seven, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So Paul says, therefore, because you've been given a spirit of power, because you've been given a spirit of love, because you've been given a spirit of self-control, do not be ashamed. Share in suffering. So Paul sets it up by saying, this, this is what you have been given by God. This is, a good, this is the good deposit that has been given to you. Therefore, you cannot be ashamed of the gospel. Therefore, you can actually share in the sufferings of Christ. But Paul doesn't just root everything in the, li- in the line before. He continues on in the next handful of verses, really leaning into the God who saved him. He really leans into the things God has done for him. So let's go ahead and read it, 9 through 12. We're just going to work our way through the text today. I don't have nothing fancy. I don't have a ton of points. We're just going to work our way through the text. So he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, this is in verse 8, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So you can see, he says, share in the suffering of the gospel. He says, how? By the power of God. 
The power of God is what's going to empower you to share in the sufferings of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. He says, by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So not only do we have the power of God, Paul goes on to describe what God has done in the midst of that power. He says, God saved us. But not only has he saved you, Timothy, but he has called you. He has called you to a holy calling. But he doesn't stop there. This is like the longest like run-on sentence in, in history. Because he just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. But he says, by the power of God, who saved us and who called us to a holy calling. Okay, that's great. Paul, But Paul doesn't stop. He says, but this holy calling and this salvation, guess where it came from? Not from you. He says, not because of our works. But because of what? Because of God's own purpose and grace. The sal- Timothy's salvation, your, your salvation and my salvation, is not a result of anything that we do. It is not a result in how good we are. It is not a result of how much money we make. It is not a result of how successful we think that we are. It's not, it's not a result of whether our kids behave or disbehave. It does not matter. God did, does not save us because of our works, but rather God saves us because of two things, because of his own purpose and his own grace. Isn't it amazing that God's purpose includes you and I knowing him? God's purpose includes you and I coming to know him, coming to know the power of his resurrection, being transformed by him, being saved by him. His purpose is not just this sort of generic worldwide thing, but his purpose lives in each and every one of us. His purpose is given to us and his grace is given to us, not by anything that we have done. So verse nine, it says that who saved us, who called us to a holy calling, not because of not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his own grace. And then he goes on, which, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So not only is it amazing that we, that we have the power of God, not only is it amazing that he saved us and that he called us to a holy calling, not only is it amazing that we do not have to do anything to earn it, isn't it, not only is it amazing that he called us by his own purpose and his own grace, but this calling was done before the ages began. It was before you and I were born that God had purposed and that he had called and that he had chosen each and every one of us who know and follow and call upon the name of Jesus Christ. He purposed that before the ages began. That, let that sink in for a minute. That really means that we're not doing anything here. Like, if you thought that maybe your good behavior was like, Currying favor with God or whatever, like before the ages, before time was even a thing, God's like, hey, I'm going to save Seth. Before, before time was even a thing, I'm going to save Clay. I have a purpose for him. I have a holy calling that I'm calling him to. Is it, like, isn't that incredible? That the God of the universe, before time even existed, purposed in his heart that you were going to come to know him. Verse 10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ before the ages began. Yeah, and which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So again, not only is it amazing that we have the power of God, 
that we have the love of God and the self-control of God that has been given, given, given to us through spirit. He saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace. And he gave it to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It has been manifested through the appearing of Jesus Christ, who, who did the impossible, who abolished death. Death is really the ultimate enemy, right? We as followers of Jesus have nothing to fear in death because Christ has abolished it. When we pass away, we are not passing away to death. We are passing away to what? To life. We may still see the effects of death. We may still obviously see physical death, but we don't have to worry about what happens. We don't have to worry about where we're going, what we're doing, whether God's going to let us in, whether we meet Peter at the pearly gates and he starts flipping through his book, you know, and asks some sort of question, you know. Like the Naughty Python guy was, what is your name? What is your quest? <laughs> He's not hanging out if they're doing that. But rather, when we, when we die, we are passing on into life. And I saw this a lot. I, I, sorry, I share a lot about my sister who passed away a couple years ago. And, uh, and one thing that was really incredible about her was she, she understood that Christ had abolished death. She, she passed away of breast cancer at 31. She was diagnosed at 27. But the way that she lived her life during those years was really incredible. And it wasn't because she was like an amazing person or whatever. But it's because she understood that if she died, that was a win. Because she knew that Christ had abolished death. She knew that if she lived 50 years longer, that was a win. Because she understood what Paul is getting at in Philippians where he says to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we can only say that because Christ appeared to abolish death. But not only did he abolish death, Paul goes on to say in verse 10, he brings life and immortality to light through the gospel. So he doesn't just save us from death, he gives us life. God doesn't just like say, hey, you have a lot of debt in your bank account, I'm just going to zero that out and let you start over. But rather, God says, I'm going to cancel all of your debt and I'm also going to deposit infinite amounts of funds into that bank account. God gives us life. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us satisfaction that is found in him. He doesn't just save us from something. He saves us to something. And when he saves us to something, that gives us amazing purpose and amazing joy and amazing satisfaction, knowing that our lives are meaningful and the things that we're going through have purpose, because before the ages began, God knew and chose those who follow him. Verse 11, for, so all of these things he says, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. So Paul starts out by saying, therefore, because you have been given a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control, do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or of me as prisoner, but rather share in the sufferings by the power of God. So not only does he start with saying, hey, you've got a spirit that's going to empower you, 
He says, here's what you do, but here's how you do it. You know how you do it? You look to the one who has done amazing things so that you could have life. He doesn't say, you can do it because you've been given a spirit and we've given you the tools, so you guys need to just get out there and execute, implement, get it done. He points to what God has done in Timothy's life. He points to what God has done in Timothy's life and the character of God that's seen and shown in that. The power of God is on display in the fact that he can abolish death, he can bring us life, that he can save us regardless of our works, that he can purpose and know us before the foundations of the world ever begin, that he can have a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us so that we can not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can share in the sufferings and be like him in his death so that we can attain the glory of God for eternity. So Paul starts by pointing us to what God has done. Verse 12 is interesting to me as well, and I think that he makes this interesting transition. It's very subtle, but this was something that was really meaningful to me. The back half of verse 12. So he says, which is why I suffer as I do. So he sort of, sort of caps that off. He says, okay, therefore do this because of the power of God, and here's all the awesome things that God has done for you and in you and through you. And then, he's, then there's finally a period. We're like, thank the Lord I can breathe when I'm reading this. And he says, but I am not ashamed. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed. So Paul's about ready to tell Timothy why he's not ashamed. So he's, he's bringing it into himself. He's saying, okay, personally, this is how I'm, I'm dealing with this. Me, Paul, sitting in prison, about ready to die. Here's, here's why I'm not ashamed. He goes on to say, but I am not ashamed, in verse 12, for I know whom I have believed. Isn't that interesting? He makes this transition away from looking at what God has done. And he says, the reason why, the, Paul's like, the reason why I cannot be ashamed is because I have a personal relationship with the one who's done all of these things. He goes, I know him. He doesn't say, I know about him. I know all the things he's done. I know that he can do it. I've heard about his power. I've heard about his resurrection. He says, no, I know. I know him personally. I care about him. He cares about me. He's, he's chosen me. Paul's reason for not being ashamed is not primarily in what God has done, but it's primarily in who God is. And he, and he knows who God is because he knows God. When we approach things in our lives that are frustrating, and we approach things in our lives that cause us to suffer, when we approach situations that are devastating, when, we're, when we have the cancer diagnosis, when, we, when my sister dies, or when we're at work and somebody is, you know, is really, is really like out to get us because of what we believe. We can look to what God has done for sure. But the only thing that's going to allow us to truly walk through the suffering and walk through the shame and walk through the frustration is knowing God. Knowing him. Having a relationship with him. 
praying to him, having a conversation with him, understanding him. Because the idea of God and the facts about God are not enough to save. Plenty, I mean, this, is, this, is, you know, this is the sort of tired line, but like plenty of atheists out there that have read the Bible and know all the things. Plenty of people out there that are out trying to earn their salvation while they know every, they, they can memorize and recite scripture backwards and forwards. Or we can even point to where even the demons believe that God exists and they know all about him. They're more, they're more aware of God's power than we are, yet they don't believe. They don't know him. Paul points Timothy towards knowing God, not just knowing about him. Obviously, knowing about him is, requ- is a requirement for knowing. I'm not creating this dichotomy of like, well, you either know about God or you know God. No, it's all one thing. But what, the reason why I'm leaning into this so hard is because I have spent a good portion of my life knowing a lot of things about God and struggling and struggling and struggling. And the times when I overcome, when the times when sin in my life starts to fade, when the times when I feel like I'm actually like walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's not because I knew a lot of things, but it's because I got connected to the one who did all of those things. So Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And then he does, he goes on to say what, what, because he knows who he believes in, he continues on and says, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So because of who God is, because of the relationship that he has with him, he has the confidence in knowing that the Lord is going to keep him until the end. It's very reminiscent of Jude 24 and 25 where it says, he, you know, where the gist of that is like he call, he was Faithful, he, he, he who calls us to himself is faithful to keep us. He who calls us to himself is faithful to keep us. And he keeps us not because, not begrudgingly, but he keeps us because he loves us. He cares for us. And this love isn't just some sort of good feeling that he has towards us like, hey, I love you guys and I really hope you make it. He has the power to keep us. He has the power to transform us. He has the power to guard that thing that he has given us, his Holy Spirit, the salvation that he has given us. He has the power to carry it through until the end. Many of us in this room, myself included at times, don't feel like God has the power to carry us through. We we may know it. We may be like, yeah, we know. God's powerful enough or whatever. But in my life, the times when I don't feel like God is able to carry me through, it's because I'm not looking to know him more in the midst of it. I'm looking for his power to solve my problem. And what God does in and through us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of of fear, is he really just desires to know us and for us to know him. Like, God's fully in control of all of this, right? Like, the suffering that we walk through, it's not God's not driving an ambulance, showing up at the, at the crime scene saying, shoot, let me fix this for you guys. He's really aware 
So the things that we walk through, the pain that we experience, it's all, it's all used by God for us to know him more deeply. And in my experience, walking through my sister's cancer diagnosis, through her relationship struggles, through her passing away, I know, I know God more now than I ever have. And do I want Jane here with me? Yeah, I do. But the fact that I know Jesus more now because of Jane, because of the suffering I had to walk through with Jane, really just shows the amazing and immense power and love that God has, that he can take something so tragic and he can turn it to something so good. So when Paul encourages Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, when Paul encourages Timothy to share in the sufferings of Christ, he's not just saying it because that's the right thing to do. He's saying it because he knows that in the suffering that, he, that Timothy is going to walk through, he is going to really know the one who saved him. He's going to really know him. Paul goes on in, in verses 13 and 14 in those other two pieces of his exhortation where he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he's, he says, you have to follow the pattern of sound doctrine. And this is going to be a theme. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this on these two verses because the rest of the book really really fleshes this out. But if we have a if we if we're not following what like the God that the Bible gives us, we're not actually following God. Like we we're knowing the wrong one. You know, we're usually creating our own when we do that. So we need to so when Paul encourages Timothy to follow the sound doctrine that he's been given but he says to do it in the faith and love that are in Christ. Again, he roots the instruction in the fact that the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus is what's going to empower him to do it. And then lastly, he leans into this idea that by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. As followers of Jesus, as those who have given our lives to him in repentant faith, we have the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit that transforms us, that opens our eyes to the word, that allows us to have the perspective of knowing and walking in Christ's suffering and in, in Christ's work. So 2 Timothy 1 is primarily about God. It's primarily about knowing him. It's primarily about knowing what he's done. And because we know him, and because we know what he's done, only then are we able to walk and stand firm in, the, in our faith. And only then are we going to be able to share in the sufferings of Christ. So there may be some of us in this room that are legitimately ashamed to bring up Jesus around the people that we work with. I mean, I'm, I'm already like, I'm thinking about this from my own perspective I'm like, there are like two things here that like really convict me. It's like one, I'm going to be with unbelieving family members in like four days. Well, I'm going to be with some of them this afternoon. And like, there's a part of me that's ashamed to talk about and to bring up and to ask the questions and to be, and, and, and to, I'm ashamed of the gospel in a little bit because I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to have a bad time. I don't want them to go tell their friends that they're those Bible thumpers of my family or they just, like, I get all worried about it. 
But when I have my eyes on the amazing work that Christ has done, and when I have my, my, my eyes on the loving Father who sent his Son to die for me, that should excite me, not create fear in me. It should be exciting for me to want to share that with somebody else, knowing that somebody at that dinner table this afternoon is living a life full of dissatisfaction and pain and frustration, and they're just, gro- they're just looking for hope. And guess what? I've got it. But I can't share the gospel out of my own shame and guilt. I need to share the gospel out of knowing God, being known by him, and knowing what he's done. So there are, I think that those are the things, as I process through and I think through even this message today, like it is primarily around not being ashamed of the gospel. But I think getting just the layer underneath of that is, I, th- I think that many of us don't know don't truly know whom we've believed and that we don't truly understand the magnitude of his grace and mercy towards us. And I think as we walk away from this place today, we can for sure pray that the Lord will help us not be ashamed. But I think the prayer that we need to pray is that we would know him, that we would be known by him and that we would know the amazing work that he's done. So I'm going to close uh, today by reading something out of Philippians chapter 3. You can turn over there if you want. This has been something that has been helpful for me, and it's been just been rattling around in my, in my mind, even as, as I've been reading 2 Timothy. And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to read this sort of as a prayer um, into our time of, of worship and reflection, walking away. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. This is Paul talking to the Philippians, obviously about the righteousness that he found through faith in Christ Jesus. We're starting verse 7. I'm going to go through uh, verse 11, kind of as our prayer as we walk away from, from this text today. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection. Lord, I pray today that we might know you. That we would would know the power of your resurrection, Lord. God, that we would share in your sufferings, becoming like you in your death. That our lives would not be spent chasing after things that don't satisfy, but Lord, we, we would spend our lives wanting to know you to be found in you. That we would count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing you, Jesus. Lord, as we, as we sing, as we go on from this place, as we go to our families this week, I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't be ashamed of, of the gospel, that we, that we would be able to embrace whatever minor suffering may come out of us sharing the gospel 
with people around us. But Lord, I, I pray primarily that you would help us know you. You'd help us, that you'd give us an understanding of how much you love us and how much you care for us. And that that would be the driving force as we walk through not only just sharing the gospel with our friends and our family, but as we walk through suffering and as we walk through pain and as we walk through death. Be our life, Lord. We love you and we thank you and we praise you. We ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen.